Hey there, welcome to Your Birth Partners. We are here to break down barriers and cultivate community as we discuss issues that impact pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. We welcome you no matter what your background is and are so excited to learn together. Today, we'll be getting into a topic that I think is really crucial to moving forward as our country works on perinatal healthcare. So we are talking about bias and particularly bias that happens um, amongst birth professionals between each other um, and amongst people, professionals and consumers alike, about the idea that there is one right way to give birth. You learn a little bit more about kind of the status about what we see happening in our interactions with um, each other as professionals and gain a greater understanding about some things that you can do both as a consumer and as a professional to counteract when you see that going on. On to the show. All right, everyone. So welcome, welcome. Uh, today, I want to talk on something that we were able to touch on in our first community episode and just dig into it a little bit more. So kind of the idea of bias. And there are a lot of different ways that that plays into healthcare and how we work, you know, as professionals. But um, particularly today, I want us to have a chance to talk about kind of that bias that we all hold. Um, and that's sometimes our clients and our patients can hold as well about there kind of being this one right way to give birth or that there's one way that a pregnancy or postpartum is supposed to look. Um, and so how those kind of ideas about bias that we have towards birth and towards certain providers and birth professionals and what they might kind of bring into that mix um, and dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, I saw a quote from Ina Katrinesco and she said, confirmation bias is our most treasured enemy. Our opinions, our acumen, all of it are the result of years of selectively choosing to pay attention to that information only which confirms what our limited minds already accept as truth. So I would just love for you guys to kind of tune in a little bit and, you know, let us know, how do you feel like bias? Do you see it, you know, coming up in your practice when you're, when you're talking with people, when you're working, you know, with other um, birth professionals, how do you feel like it's impacting care? Biases that I see um, in my clinical setting is ends up I have a birth plan. I wish that everyone's perspective or views about um, patient choices and desires uh, were not viewed in such a negative light um, because it really helps us to understand the things that are important to the patient and their family. Um, and it helps us to develop um, our plan of care um, in order to potentially, you know, help to meet some of those goals, um, obviously, um, as long as it's, it's safe and, and responsible. I feel like I always need to say that because anytime I don't, I backlash mm. for not saying, you know, as long as it's normal. Birth plans make me a little sad. I think they, you know, evolved as this wonderful tool to help people think about their priorities in, in their birth and in their health care. But as an obstetrician, they tend to be um, often perceived as something people give us because they don't trust our judgment or because they're very worried or scared that we're going to be overly interventional. Um, there can't be an exact plan for your birth because you don't know what's going to happen. Just like as a parent, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, it has to be an exercise in being flexible. And I think for people to have overall goals or visions about how they want things to look. That's very reasonable, but unfortunately, birth plans are often only set up to accommodate the perfect birth, you know, and, and, and when things aren't that, it's, it's hard. Yeah, I definitely think there's been something in kind of the way that the birth plan, probably the vocabulary we use around it has contributed mm -hmm. to some of that bias. I think a birth plan, you know, plan sounds very structured, 
Um, I think when we, you know, as we, if we can start to think of them as birth preferences, as, you know, ideal <laughs> ways that things are going to go, um, that helps to, to kind of decrease that bias. But I absolutely, I've seen that, you know, over and over again um, with, you know, with colleagues. Um, and even with other, you know, other people who are giving birth that they'll refer to someone else's choices like, oh, well, they're just set on all of these things happening. And so it's, you know, it's too much kind of to ask for all that. And I think we need to be really, you know, conscious in the language that, you know, we use when we're explaining about potential courses that happen, you know, during, um, during labor and delivery to help set people up to understand how preferences might play into what's going on. Um, and then we really need to be active as birth professionals to, to pause <laughs> and to look at each, you know, each new birth plan that comes across us and take it in for what it is, that this is their, you know, their best way of presenting what their goals are, what they hope will happen and try to keep some of our bias about every other time that we've seen X, Y, and Z on the sheet, this happens. Cause that's not, you know, that again, that goes back into that confirmation bias. That's that idea that we are kind of cherry picking those moments in our mind, in our memory that, affirm that idea that, oh, if someone's asking for all these things, you know, it's asking too much of the universe and they're going to end up having, you know, a higher intervention birth. That's all interesting to me. Oh, um, sorry. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I already talked. <laughs> um, so I think like, you know, I, I, my population is obviously different and like part of their like birth plan or preferences is like choosing this like different healthcare setting where they're like, yeah, a lot of the things are like guarantees and unspoken. Like, yeah, like skin to skin, delayed cord clamping, delayed newborn interventions, doing newborn interventions on parents, like all that stuff just happens. And then they can like really go into like the nitty gritty of like what they want. Um, I do think, you know, the population that chooses home birth is like taking this like extra step to be like, I want these things and then I'm going to choose a different environment. And then when I'm like guiding people towards thinking about like if there's a need to transfer, you know, like there's like, we're going for interventions. It's going to be a really appropriate use of interventions. Choose a couple preferences. Like what are the big things that you want to like hold from the home birth experience? Like, is it low lights? Is it that your partner catches the baby? Is it, you know, delayed newborn? Like what are the, like the three big things? And then in the event of a C-section, like what are two or three big things? So it's like kind of like a, a stage thing. Cause like, you know, I'm just like, this is like the reasons that we transfer. And if we're, we're going, we're going for interventions. So I'll help guide you through that, but also like, yeah, what are, what are the most important values there? Um, I think um, that it's so, so important whenever we are <clears throat> thinking about or discussing birth plans, for example. Um, I think that often um, people think about them as being this rigid idea, but I truly visualize them as like preferences and like what are the things that are important to you because it helps me to understand my patients and their families' values. And um, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, patients just want to be heard. And so often they feel like they haven't been heard. And so they, there are some who come across as having, um, being very firm about things. And then there are um, are some who are very relaxed about things. And what I find in my practice is um, just listening to patients, um, listening, actively listening without interrupting so that I get the whole picture and then validating them and then saying, hey, well, I want you to think about this because what if this doesn't happen? 
would you be comfortable with this? And I'm gonna explain to you why we would recommend X, Y, or Z. Um, and so I, I wish, um, what I hope for is that as birth leaders, that we take a different perspective yeah. on okay, what this you. birth plan um, could be. Um, because it's not about, it is sometimes, unfortunately, about patients not trusting us, but rightfully so in many, many cases. Um, but it is also giving us an opportunity to um, validate, help to um, clear up anything that maybe they thought was accurate that is not accurate um, and explain the rationale for things because I've had plenty of patients once I said, okay, why do you feel that way? Why don't you want this? Or why do you want that? And then I give them a different perspective and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Or I didn't think about it that way. I didn't know that was an option, you know? Absolutely. And so, you know, what are ways that you all, when you're working and you're interacting with other, you know, colleagues, if you see people kind of showing some of that bias, you see that maybe they've kind of had a little switch has flipped and they're perhaps not really kind of seeing the perspective of what's actually happening in front of them. What are some ways that you have been able to kind of help like guide, you know, the conversation to, you know, to try to eliminate a little bit of that bias? I think in my case, sometimes just going in and having a conversation in front of a nurse or a resident or person who hasn't necessarily been comfortable with somebody's birth plan helps. I think just a really open conversation with the patient where everybody in the room can realize that the patient's actually not that unreasonable and where we can talk through you know, the parts of the birth plan that are going to make a birth special for somebody, but also the parts of the birth plan that are really getting at the, um, the heart of what things are you worried about? What things are going to be really hard for you? And mm -hmm. if those things happen, you know, how are we going to work through that? You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Um, I want to add that, that from my perspective, you know, as the doula going into the medical facility, that um, it happens to us a lot where, you know, once the client presents the birth plan if she arises, um, arrives before I do, or once I present the birth plan to them, that you automatically see the switch in the face. Oh, okay. You're one of them. Mm, right? The guard goes yes. Oh yes. my God. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, whether or not the birth plan was, is, is there because the client does not trust the medical facility. That's the truth. A lot of our sisters go into the hospitals and they don't come back. Yep. Okay. So we might not trust right. the yeah. medical facility. Yeah. Um, we have horror stories from our grandmothers, from our mothers. Yeah. We might not trust the medical facility. So if we feel like if we at least put the desires down, the things that we have researched, we've had looked at the outcomes, we have looked at whether or not if we minimize this, intervi this intervention, I may come home alive. Okay. That should be respected. This is a human being with rights. This is a very sacred time. We're not just another number. We're not just another bed. And all of that should be looked at as a whole, as a woman, as a human being. These are her rights and her choices that she has researched. And yes, yeah, she wants to say, these are my preference, our preferences with my body and my baby. That should be totally okay. Totally okay. 
especially when I see, especially when I see um, where I have clients of a different race at the same exact hospital and they do not receive that type of treatment. Where I, where we have those, those, you know, you, you have those nurses, oh, she wants to use, you know, holistic, um, um, you know, modalities. They will massage her scalp. This is, it's big. It's like, oh, okay. I never see that with. Hmm. So why it's like, yes, it's, it, it should be, you know, as, as woman to woman, you know, nurse, I'm a female. Okay. You're all woman was bringing forth life you have a right this is a experience that you can never get back we cannot turn back time yes i'm going to respect your preferences and your wishes of course keeping in mind that birth is so unpredictable i've educated my client on that yeah things can go away at any you know at any time and again with normal with things going normal a normal you know birth absolutely um yeah so we're not being unreasonable we know that i mean they know that if they're coming to a medical facility, we're there just in case something goes wrong. They are trained, you know, to treat it. Okay, that's why we're here. But as long as everything is normal, okay, these are my preferences and this is what I like. And we just, you just want that respect. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad though, because those preferences shouldn't have to be voiced. We should be treating every woman, period, across the board with respect. I mean, yeah early skin to skin delayed core claiming those kinds of things. And then a much broader just respect of our patients, listening to our patients, figuring out who our patients are and what their needs are. That's, that's the important part. And you shouldn't have to come with a plan. You know, you don't get that treatment if you don't show up with, with somebody who's going to advocate for you. That part of this makes me really sad. Yeah. Same. It, you know, it, the part of having to have someone advocate for you. You are absolutely right. Like you should, it should just be a natural thing as people who have chosen the path of caring for other humans, as women caring for women, as males who are choosing to care for women. It should be a natural thing to just advocate for the right thing for each and every individual, despite their circumstances, despite their background, despite how they have ended up in the situation that they've ended up in. And I don't know how we have gotten to such a point in our in our community and in, in healthcare where we are biased on certain things um, and choose to neglect our patients because of it. Yeah, I mean, as we look at at birthing people, we need to be seeing who they are, you know, as an individual. And absolutely, what you're saying, Pansay, about the fact that that's not seen, and then that then sets people up to feel like they need to come in um, and really fight for what's going on. And it creates this: we have created the system of you know perinatal healthcare that we have created in you know, our country has led people to feel like they have to go in and fight for themselves. And that's absolutely not how it should be. People shouldn't have to feel like they're going in ready (laughs) to, you know, dig their heels on and stand for all this. That should be, like I was saying, those should be standard of care. And so many of those things they are, there is every reason for those things to be happening in every birth. They're evidence-based. They are what is actually (laughs) the right, you know, thing to do Mm -hmm. in those normal circumstances. Um, and it is unfair that as a system, we have then kind of 
turned that on its head and chosen to see people who are fighting for themselves and what actually feels right to them and make it seem as if they're the ones who are a problem when it's absolutely 100% a systematic problem that we have created and we need to be the ones to fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started off as a doula and I think the reason I, I kind of hit a wall where I couldn't do it anymore. And it was because I felt like I was a stopgap measure on this like gaping hole or a broken mm. wound. Like it's just, it was like this like tiny bandaid because the care was inadequate. And so people had to hire someone to like support them like throughout birth. And I just was like, no, I want to be a partner in people's care. I want yeah, I want like care and respect to be like the central part of their like perinatal care experience. And it's unfortunate that the way it's set up right now is that the people that can like, you know, access this like partner in care who's like in a personal relationship are typically people who have more means because it's home birth is more outside the system. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, this model of care isn't being replicated in other healthcare settings as much. So it's still like, yeah, being in a setting where you don't have to like advocate for yourself or feel the yeah. need to advocate or you don't have a relationship is like less common unless you're hiring this like one-on-one midwife uh, relationship mm-hmm. or like working with a really small practice, which is not accessible to a lot of folks in a lot of places. That's often why you see this discrepancy that I'm going to say your name wrong. Is it Ponce? Ponce. Ponce. I'll never say it wrong again. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> That's <thanks>. why... <laughs> Um, that's why you see this discrepancy that you talked about, I think, in healthcare settings where women are getting really different kinds of care. It's funny, I was late on labor and delivery one night recently where some of our um, newer nurses were having a conversation where they sort of said, I wish we just had a doula. I wish we had like mm-hmm. a couple doulas on our unit who were people that really helped us understand our patients, who helped wow. patients through labor, who helped patients, you know, with you know, strategies for pain management and, la- management and labor, particularly the patients who wanted unmedicated births. Um, but also people who recognize that we were all part of the same team. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I mean, certainly we have those doulas that show up in labor mm-hmm. and delivery and I know them well, and I know that we're going to collaborate together. Mm-hmm. And then that's not always the case. Um, just like I'm sure when you show up on labor and delivery with certain patients, you, you don't feel accepted and you don't mm-hmm. feel like you're part of a team. Definitely. Yeah. And I think as we're, I love that that some of like the nurses are talking about that and having that, you know, that acceptance piece of it. Cause I know we've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of that bias that most of us, we come into however we came into birth work, you know, we, we were informed by our own cultural and kind of educational experiences about what that means and who should be involved and, you know, how it all is supposed to work. And then as you keep working through it, ideally, constantly for the next 80 years, we're all growing and we're learning new stuff and we're not just accepting what we learned once in school or what right. someone exactly. once told us one time. Um, and so I love that, you know, there these nurses are, you know, accepting and advocating and wanting to see doulas and recognizing the wonderful role that they can help to play because it's very much complimentary. I am always psyched if one of my patients has a doula because I know, okay, great, there are even more people who are here dedicated to this person having an amazing birth that re- you know meets their needs. And you know a lot of time there's a lot of you know pressure on the people who are taking care of someone, you know during birth because it is it's a high stakes situation and they're you know this is going to last with someone for their entire life and so yes. we want it to be everything and so the more people we have in there <laughs> dedicated, you know making that happen, it it helps. And I I feel like I from where I came up in birth, 
I didn't have, um, I always saw duels in a very like positive light, but I absolutely know that for some nurses, it's hard. It feels like people are coming into kind of their territory and it can feel, you know, difficult that you're worried about how, how care is going to be, how care is going to be shared and that you don't want to have to be, you know, fighting about anything. Um, and so I would love it if you guys can speak to kind of what are some of the situations that, where you have seen your own practice kind of grow and shift to be perhaps more accepting. Cause obviously the, you know, as I was reaching out and starting this organization, I, I wanted all of you to be a part of it because I see you as such accepting people who really see the team approach, you know, behind. Um, but I know we all didn't necessarily start feeling that way. I would say the biggest thing that I've personally done is um, remind myself that ultimately it is not about me. Um, and when I was in private practice, uh, you just, it's so different than military medicine. Everyone has access to good collaborative healthcare right in one setting. You literally can come in with 10 issues and you walk out the door wrapped in a bow because we fixed it already. Um, and when you work in the real world, um, you see and hear everything and you are working with providers who have come from all over the place who don't necessarily um, maybe have the same beliefs or standards or not held to the same standards because they're not basically um, they're not run by the government so to speak and so um, what I really had to do is learn to humble myself not let myself get so upset about the things that I had no control over or could or no power over and just accept that this is the way this person is going to be, this physician is going to be, this midwife is going to be, this patient is going to be, and I need to calm down and meet them in the middle somewhere. And maybe, just maybe, if I respect them, um, then they will grow to listen to me and to trust me and even you know, take my opinion for certain things and maybe we can work together collaboratively. Um, I've built a lot of bridges that way with patients who absolutely didn't trust midwives. Um, even the first practice I worked in, um, she she never worked with midwives before. She'd been a physician for 30 years and she ended up hiring two more midwives to work mm -hmm. with her in her practice, you know? Um, I just... It was just about building the bridge and being humble. And it hurts sometimes to do that because sometimes people, <laughs> people don't come to meet you halfway no matter how much you try. Mm. Yeah. I really relate to the last part of what you said. I think something I want to mention before I talk about kind of overcoming my own biases is some of the really extreme biases against home birth and the people who provide home birth care and the clients that seek home birth care and how hostily um, many of my clients have been treated when interacting with other healthcare providers. Um, when like I've sent someone in for an ultrasound or mm. had to, you know, get an NST at three o'clock in the morning and yeah. And how much that impacts care and also like, ends the conversation and that like, it doesn't seem like anything I say or do can change that. Um, and how much people dislike home birth and the people who provide home birth and the people who, yeah. And like believing that this is a reasonable option. So I think for me, 
like a lot of my bias has shifted in having good transfers and having, you know, and also letting go of my ego and seeing how, yeah, I don't know. Planning a home birth is not about the place of birth. It's about providing safety and shepherding people through this tremendous experience of like meeting a child. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes we need more help. Um, and to have been met many times now by sometimes providers I didn't know and sometimes providers I did know with open arms who've helped us use these interventions that are feared in really good ways to help provide safety. And also for some of my clients who've had to have births that were the exact opposite of Mm -hmm. what they had planned and intended on and were cared for so lovingly has really help me remember that, you know, like we want, we want the same things. We want people to like have good care. We want people to have like healthy outcomes. We want people to be safe and like be able to bond with their baby. And the way that the systems do that is different. And there's a lot of barriers in each system to providing that, but we have the same goals. And like the folks who have bias towards me also have those goals and just don't realize that we're in alignment (laughs) on those things. Um, and I think that's kind of, I think like I both like continue to have these like positive experiences and then have these experiences that give me pause and that kind of feeling of like, how are we going to go forward? Mm. And it's kind of a, a challenging, a challenging line to walk. It was very well said, right? Oh my gosh. It, it is. It's so crazy how like you will sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, I'm making all these leaps and bounds. Um, uh, moving, you know, for progressing. And then, yeah, one thing happens um, and it like stains the entire picture mm. of all the great things that you've built. And um, it is, it's scary because sometimes you, you're, it's difficult to come back from it and you build a, a wall and you start not trusting again. And it just, it further creates the divide. Um, with with bias and like um tearing down the the relationships um that that should be built um between uh interdisciplinary um clinicians it really does and i think i want to maybe name an experience i had recently in the last few months which is i was in an area i don't attend births in commonly and needed to to transfer to the hospital quickly. So we couldn't go to our preferred backup hospital. Mm. So I called the local hospital to give report. A midwife picked up the phone. And when I told her why we were coming in, she said, I don't accept your transfer. And I was like, what? Like, like, that's, that's illegal. Like what? And I was like, I I need to come in now. Um, I'm transferring for heart tones. And she's like, we do not accept your transfer. And I was like, okay, um, we're going to be there in 10 minutes by ambulance. So I'll see you soon. Um, and it's just like, you know, my client was treated fine. We had a, like a, like an okay outcome, but that, that level of hostility was, is going to stay with me for years. And I have this like initial impact of like, oh my God, I do not want to attend births in that area anymore. I do not want to be near this hospital. There was, it was like a non-starter and mm. it was with a midwife. Um, it's just, yeah, I think like. And I, then there's like these like little and big pieces of trauma that we catch and carry as, you know, people who attend birth and like 
you know, the 20 great transfers I've had to the local hospital in Philly are totally overshadowed by this like one really scary experience. And it was scary because of how I was treated as this person trying to transfer care. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm, I'm so sorry that you experienced that and that, you know, obviously as a real, your client was a part of what was already a scary and unexpected transition in care becomes so much worse when we don't just come together. Um, And, you know, I think it, it, like you said, obviously it's two steps forward, one step back and it does, it makes such an impact when we have these really negative experiences and that, you know, people get used to seeing things in, you know, in their one site. And so it's really unfortunate that whatever has kind of fueled um, that, you know, that midwife, that provider's experience about transfers that, um, you know, that resulted in them having such a terrible interaction with you. And I, and I will speak, I mean, again, personally, um, obviously at one part of my, you know, career, I was probably less comfortable with, you know, home birth. It's certainly not talked about in nursing school. You know, that's not, that, that wasn't ever a part of, you know, how we viewed, um, birth and how it could look. And certainly though, then as I, you know, as I, continue my practice and learned more. And, and I had to actively seek out and understand that safety. You know, there was at one point that I was really, I was, I was biased. I was really uncomfortable with whatever the CPM qualification meant. I didn't understand that. You know, I know what, I knew what nurses were. I knew what nurse midwives were. Um, and I was, I was unclear about the safety that would be provided, you know, by a CPM or, you know, by another midwife who didn't go through, you know, the same training. Uh, and so I had to really actively search for that information. I had to take on that responsibility to better inform myself so that I could have a better understanding of care. And I think the problem comes when we're not able um, to do that or we're not willing to put in that work to better create understanding and to eliminate that bias. Um, Because obviously now I feel very comfortable with (laughs) understanding CPMs and the education and, you know, qualifications that you all do and have and the safety that you're able to provide during birth. Um, and I, I am so desperate for us as a, you know, perinatal healthcare system to do better, to better inform everyone who is involved in care so that we understand these roles that people have and we're able to be accepting of each other and not have these kind of egregious (sighs) acts that go against everything we we believe in, (laughs) you know, as, as healthcare providers. It's funny, this conversation is making me think of like the systems-based things we could do to improve this. Because I think, I mean, home birth is not going away. Um, And, you know, I think as a physician, I've been on the other end of, you know, I am often on the receiving end of deliveries that haven't gone well. And when you're dealing with a mom and a baby who are sick and you're not the one who's provided the initial care and you don't have a bond of trust with that patient... And we're living in a malpractice environment that's really broken and um, serves to penalize physicians and and not help families that have babies in need. So I feel it's, the system is, is really broken. It's funny though, the Ray, the the delivery or the experience that you were talking about makes me think, I mean, little tiny things like, wow, if you have a home birth in the area where the local hospital is one that you don't know, like, should we be having a phone call that says there's somebody laboring and they may be coming in and here's their background just in case. Mm -hmm. And I think that the unfortunate answer is that a lot of physicians will be like, no way, I don't want that liability. 
it, there's not going to be a simple fix to this, but I think that yeah, we have to do I, something to Im- improve. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, I care so, for patients and relationships and communication. And I think some of it has to do with relationships among providers because, yeah. you know, at the wonderful Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia, which has since closed, you know, um, there's a midwife who was in town for many years, Christy Santoro, who built a real relationship of trust with the primary obstetrician and midwives in that practice. And so when I had a birth that I was like, I don't like love what's happening here, I would just call the midwife on labor and delivery and be like, you know, I have this situation. I'm not sure if I'm going to come in. We would like chat about it and they'd be like, yeah, mm. I, could, I could see you. Like, maybe I'll see you later. Oh, like, no, I have a little bit more time. Yeah. And, you know, just like the relationship of trust, the relationship of like those folks that have like a one appointment with that practice. So they were in their system and that like I would send records that like felt good to them. And they, you know, mm. asked us for what they liked, which was an anatomy scan and, and GBS, which sometimes our clients consented to and sometimes they didn't. Mm. Um, yeah. And because of that, like when I, you know, had transferred people there for heart tones urgently, we were received well because they trusted me and they trusted my judgment. And so I definitely understand like being in an area where they don't know me and they like receive something scary that it would feel scary, but also there's this general mistrust that like home birth is bad and dangerous mm-hmm. and that home birth providers yeah. are unskilled and that like people are like making these crazy decisions to, that are going to kill their babies. And like those biases are, yeah. you know, like you cannot understand, you cannot agree. You could be like, yeah, that's not the decision for me. And also be like, this person was making an autonomous decision with their body. And we're now yeah. transferring because right. it's no longer appropriate for a home birth. Like, And we're going right. to continue to support them in making <laughs> decisions that, yes. that best respect them and the actual situation yes. that they're in. Yeah. I know. I know. I mean, we're track. definitely going to talk about this more and you know a future episode we have planned is for kind of that idea about hospital birth and out of hospital birth and safety and how we we build you know that trust and and talk about transfer of care because it's a huge um it's a huge issue and i'm sure there are people potentially listening right now who have no idea that it would be that complicated that providers aren't able to have those conversations openly in every you know environment because that seems very logical that we would all be supporting each other, you know, in this. And the fact that it's not happening is, you know, it's a huge detriment to our, our clients and outcomes that they end up having. Um, and so, you know, I know we obviously could talk about this <laughs> forever, um, but I want us to be able to kind of just close and think about um, how, how we care for each other during birth, those relationships that we create between um, other birth professionals um, and us all actively working to fight against our own bias about what we think birth is supposed to look like, what we would like our birth to look like, whatever ideal birth means in our head um, that we need to, that that's fine to have those, but we need to be able to kind of put that aside and be, you know, in the moment where we are with the person that we're caring for. Um, and I, I like this quote by um, Anais Neen who said, you know, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And that is something that we need to be very aware of and conscious as we, you know, provide care and, and try to direct how things go, that we're making sure that all of our own, you know, biases aren't getting in the way of what's actually happening in front of us. Well, thank you all so much for talking about this with me today. It's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. I love these conversations. <laughs> All right. Do birth talk, girl talk. (laughs) Yes. All right. We'll talk soon. Mm, Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in. 
We love to talk birth and would love to talk about it with you. Please join the conversation by finding us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're your birth partners on all platforms. We also recommend you check out our show notes blog. We'll be detailing some of the information we discussed today in our episode about bias and how you can hopefully kind of get away from that. What are some of the research show us about bias? And as we work to kind of continue to reach out and get this message out to as many people as possible, we really appreciate you sharing with friends or colleagues or consider donating to our nonprofit as we work to increase our reach. Thanks for your support. Till next time.